first, it's time to catch up on the latest motoring news with journalist Damien Reid. Good morning, Damien. Good morning, Ray. Pleasure, as always, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Can I start by asking, uh, have you ever got so angry that you wanted to thrash a car? (laughs) Plenty of times. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Road rage, eh? Yeah, well, um, uh, road rage. Also, I've had some a couple of dodgy cars that I've been yeah. testing, and over the time, and I think, well, yeah, there's. Uh, I had one particular one that was a nondescript uh, Chinese brand of some sort many years ago, yeah, and it actually caught fire in the driveway of the dealership, <laughs> and I handed it back, and I was so upset with the car. I said, oh, and by the way, there's smoke coming out from under the hood. No, um, and it was ablaze. <laughs> wow. My, I've been there. <laughs> my first ever car, actually, it, um, the battery died. The engine just completely cut out on the way uh, driving from the dealership. That was a that was a low moment for for a, for a brand new for a brand. It was a brand new car as well. It wasn't second hand or anything like that. I just thought this is not a good omen for my drive for my motoring future, you know. Uh, but it does happen, and that that is something you get here a lot as well. Sometimes the, the batteries don't last as long, do they? Yeah, well, because it's so hot here in summer, yeah. and, and batteries, you know, we, we all know when we come from cold climate, how countries uh, in winter in Europe, how batteries, you know, really suffer. Yeah. It's the exact same here in summer, and uh, yeah, you go through a phase where, you know, I'm sure our listeners would probably agree, that we tend to replace them around July, August. There's mm. no, it's no coincidence. It's because it's hot, and it, and it impacts them. I wonder if anyone's ever done a survey, what, which is the optimum country for battery life. Somebody somewhere will have figured that out. I'm sure there's a battery company out there that would love to know the answer. <laughs> 4001, if you know. Okay, and also let us know if you've ever wanted to thrash a car. 4001 uh, is the number to text. Now, you've had a, a busy couple of weeks, uh, as always, and you've been out in the Ford Ranger XLS, uh, the 2020 model. Yeah, something uh, a little bit different. Mm. You know, it, it's um, I get to drive some nice cars every now and then. Yeah. Um not saying this is not nice, but it's it's, uh, it's a pickup. <laughs> it's a, it's a, I've got to be very careful with that. One. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> yeah, but no, it's um it's it's a pickup, and it's it's a very popular brand. It was a very popular style of vehicle in many countries around the world, but it hasn't quite taken off here yet mm. because we've been fortunate to have these larger vehicles like the big F one fifty truck and that sort of thing, and the the GMC Sierras. But these vehicles, the mid size pickup, which is the the Ford Ranger, the XLS model. Is is a very popular choice now for families uh, to to you know to do sort of weekend camping and that thing because it's still a, a uh, it's still a four by four yeah um, and uh, you know it yeah it's it's most most commonly known over the years here as being like the commercial vehicle but uh, but it is being seen in many other parts of the world as a as a proper passenger vehicle so yeah I, I had that for a couple of days I, I really enjoyed it Ray it's uh, you know it's it's a diesel engine, which is um, unusual for this part of the world. Mm-hmm. But diesel engines are great. I, I'm a big fan of them. The, the the power, the torque comes on much earlier. They're, it's great for going out in the desert in the sand because you, you're not using anywhere near as many revs to get the job done. Mm. So you're not using as much fuel. Um, this this vehicle gets reportedly about 1,200 kilometres from a tank of gas. Wow. Uh, so, you know, remarkable. Yeah. But of course, you know, diesel is sort of being phased out, isn't it, in, in you know, many parts of the world. Is this, is this, is, is the Ranger available as a diesel in the UK, for example? Yeah, it's still, it's still there as a diesel. There's also a petrol option as well. Mm. Um, for this market, I think it's only diesel. I need to double check on that. But mm. uh, certainly the vehicle I had was the diesel. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, diesel is being phased out. 
around the world. And um, to be fair, I think it's copped a bit of a bad rap over the last few years because of you know Dieselgate in Europe and, yeah. and everything else. But but if you look at the latest level, like the Euro six, Euro seven spec level of diesel, it's a clean diesel. It's a very, it is actually a very clean fuel now. Yeah, and um, and a very efficient fuel. But like like all fossil fuels, they're on their way out. Um, you know, electricity coming in. There's also you know liquid. Uh, zero emission fuels that are being developed as well. Mm. So, you know, yeah, the fossil fuels in general are on their way out, uh, including diesel. Diesel is, is is leading the charge on the exit in, yeah, in Europe for sure. But uh, so yeah, so not many here. Who, who's the ranger aimed at then? I mean, obviously, it's, it, traditionally it would be more of a sort of a, a commercial vehicle, wouldn't it, for commercial use? Yeah, so it's uh, it's one hundred and sixteen thousand nine hundred dirhams was, was the vehicle I tested, mm. uh, and so it's it's aimed at, at at families, you know, budget people, small businesses as well, small business owners. So if you're running a say a, a printing shop or you know, something like that, we need to you know carry stuff around during the week, but you also need a dual cab with five seats. It has Isofix uh, seat anchorages uh, on the outside rear seats, so two of them in the back for children for child seats. Um, so you know. Young families, people who are starting a business and, and have, need the same vehicle to, to get around with. Um, perhaps people who are in, in, in more of a confined area in terms of their parking at work or at home and, and you can't fit the, the massive big you know, Ford Raptor or whatever yeah. you have. This kind of fits in there. And as I say, 1,200 kilometres out of a tank, incredibly economical. So it, it sort of comes in for those on a budget. It's, um, uh, you know, it, it, has, it has all the features that, that you'd expect. Um, you know, with uh, the uh, rear parking sensors, cameras, uh, six-speaker system, and an infotainment system, all that kind of stuff. So it's comfortable um, and, and sort of, you know, it's it's kind of built for, for comfort rather, for well, for both. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, it's not a jawbreaker mm, yeah. <laughs> like some, some pickups. It is actually comfortable. It has um, you know, a compromised tyre that, that works uh, that's meant to be as comfortable as possible on the road, so 16-inch rim, but also you know do the job when you go off into the sand. Mm. And uh, and and you know, those tyres are on a lot of SUVs around here. So yeah, I mean it is actually uh, very comfortable inside. It's a as I say it's a six-speed auto, um, and uh, it, it's it's got all the features. The one I had was was the four-wheel drive. You can also just get the the rear-wheel drive mm. if you want to save a, save a bit more money as well, and 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 have a slightly lighter car. So that means you you know you get a better fuel economy again, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, it it has all the the features that make it work ready, and and also, you know, you you can drive around. It was designed and, and engineered in Australia, so I've got a bit of an affinity with it. I, I've driven a few back in Australia as well yeah. as as family vehicle, family transport. There's a a model above that's that's the, the the top end model called the Wild Track, and that's actually the one that's got all the leather trim and the the whole lot. That's really really nice. And this is the model that slips just below it, so right. it's a, it's at a better price point. Well, you've also been uh, you, that was the Ford. You've also been in the McLaren GT as well. Yeah, talk about going from one end to the other. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, the McLaren GT. It's uh, yeah, it's it's, it's just a just a mere eight hundred and seventy five thousand dirhams um, for anyone out there. <laughs> Get two, <laughs> might as well. Yeah, um, but it's it's an interesting model that, that slips into the into the range at that high end because it's the GT. Now the GT GT stands for Grand Tour, as we know, and and, mm-hmm. and that traditionally has always been. You know, you think of GT, you think of cars like Aston Martins and Bentleys, you know, that have a rear seat, two door mostly, they have a rear seat for area. The engine's at the front. It's a car that you can do, a, you know, a thousand kilometers in a day and just, just sit back and load. Well, this is still a McLaren, so yeah. it's 
it's mid-engine and two-seat only. Yeah. And people are going, well, that can't really be a GT, can it? So, yeah. Um, yeah but 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 what they've done is that it's much more comfortable than the than the really you know proper track focused McLarens. It has softer suspensions, hydraulic suspension. Um, it uses a, a, a different materials in the interior, so it's a more supple leather that sort of thing. Very comfortable seats, um, and uh, and I, I did probably four four hundred kilometres in in a, in a day driving it, and I got out feeling fine. So uh, to me, that makes it a long distance tourer. Yeah. Um, the other thing that was interesting, right, is that is that because the engine's in the middle and not in the front, mm. it actually has more storage space than than these bigger. GT that it competes against because you've got the storage space in the front, yeah, and you can still put a bag of, uh, a golf club set of golf clubs in the back on top of the between the engine and the and the glass cover at the back. Wow. So there's still storage in the back. Um, they've done an amazing job with it with the space efficiency to to make it as spacious as possible. What does it feel like with the with the engine? So the engine is just behind you. Do, can you can you sort of yeah. can you can you kind of feel it against you know be, be behind you and against yeah. your back kind of thing? The power. Oh, absolutely, and and that's and that's another thing that that actually goes in its favour is it it drives better than than most of the GTs mm. that I've driven because the engine is behind you, so so it drives like a sports car. It handles you know beautifully compared to say the front engine cars where they're a bit a bit heavier over the nose, so it has that sports car feel, but it's you still got. It's a, definitely a two seater, so there's no, there's no room for put put anyone behind you, um, but there's. Definitely, there's more. There's, there's, I say, there's space to, to put overnight bags. You can go away for a weekend in this car yeah. and take your clubs with you as well, if you like. Yeah. Um, and and do a long a long cruise. So yeah, it's uh, in in that regard, um, it does tick the the GT boxes. But it, they've just done it because McLaren uh, have basically they have one uh, one chassis, if you like, and mm-hmm. they and they're trying to make as many models from that as they can because they're. They don't. They're not. They're not a company the size of a BMW or a Mercedes or whatever. They have to you know, work with what they've got, and they've done an amazing job with mm. that chassis. And it's incredibly strong too, because it's all it's a carbon fiber, what they call monocoque. So it's just a, it's a single tub. It's a, it's a absolutely rock solid safe as well. So how does it compare to say other modern GTs like the Bentley Continental or Ford Mustang? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, it's priced way above the the, the Mustang, yeah. but in terms of uh, space size, it probably it, it's closer to to the to the Bentley uh, Continental GT. Mm-hmm. Say the, uh, the the Aston Martin um, Vantage or even the the, the DBS, um, and I, I think yeah, for for those cars, if you if you had if you had a child with you, you would have to go with with those other cars because mm-hmm. as I said, this is only two seats for sure. But if it's just if it's just you, yourself and your you know, your wife, your husband, or or, whom, or whomever, fine. It, it, you can do long distance with it. It also because it because it is this sports car and it sits low to the ground. It, it has uh, hydraulic lift because it's hydraulic suspension. It has lifted so you can raise the front to go over speed humps and, and all that. Oh, that's so, handy. Yes. Yeah, getting around town, you know, <laughs> over speed humps and even in getting you through shopping mall, you know, you've got those higher curbs in the in the shopping mall car yeah. parks. Um, it helps you through that as well. So well, that's a good it's as practical as you can get from a mid-engine car, that's for sure. This is Motor Mania with Ray Addison. Powered by servicemycar.com. Now shut up and drive. On Dubai Eye 103.8.
Back to our motoring news now. Damien Reed uh, is with us on the line. Sorry to keep you waiting there, Damien. But it's worth it because we're very excited. F1 is taking place uh, tomorrow and uh, qualifying is today. It's a big weekend for motor racing. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a big win for, weekend for sport in general in yeah. the region. I'll tell you what, with the, the DP World Tour here and an hour down the road, the Etihad Airways Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the final final race of a, of a 17-round season. Uh, we only started the championship really in, in July um, after the, the delays with COVID, but in a space of 24 weeks, they've managed to squeeze in 17 races. And uh, we've had two races in Bahrain, and mm-hmm. we're on the last of our triple header in the Middle East here at Yas Marina Circuit. So, uh, yeah, lot, still lots to play for down there, that's for sure. Uh, one of the biggest stories, obviously, from the, the Bahrain race was uh, Romain Agrosians. If I'm saying that correct, you'll probably correct me on that one. The fiery crash, that was uh, that was a big moment for the sport. And uh, I know he said he's, you know, he, he just saw his life sort of flash before his eyes and, and managed to get out just in time. But that will have had an impact on, on the race to come. Yeah, for sure. And already, I think changes are, are being are being drafted about how to design a car. Now, there's no there's no blame pointed, but that's mm. the way that the, the sport works. They try, they they look at something and try to improve on it. And um, it was a uh, it was a scary moment, right, for for everyone involved, you know, for drivers to everyone. Um, mm. Yeah, we haven't we haven't seen a fire in probably 25 years, and uh, and that was a nasty one. He got out, thankfully, through the through the good work of of so many factors that were involved that made that work the good work of the of the safety features on the vehicle yeah. the, the 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 marshals that were on the spot our own local marshals some of them came from here as well um who went up there and did an outstanding job the, the bahraini fire uh, marshals who who were on the scene in fact i believe that one of them received a pr- promotion mm-hmm. this week with as, as a fire fire uh, chief in bahrain um to to get him out and the fact that you know his uh He's he's okay. He has a couple of burns on his on his hands, but yeah. otherwise he's okay. So uh, remarkable to see him walk away. It, it's it's interesting because it reminds me. Um, you know, it wasn't too long ago that people would complain that those the days of, of accidents like that were gone, and that they they said you know there wasn't as much ex- excitement in the sport. And then something like this happens, and and you know you sort of thank your lucky stars that it is so rare these days. Yeah, you know, right. It's it's a funny thing when people start to get complacent. That's when I start to worry. Uh, or sorry, not complacent when they say these kind of comments. Because yeah. I've, I've been around F one for for many years now, and I was actually on on scene with the Senna crash as well back in mm-hmm. in ninety four. And we were just getting to that point of saying the same thing back then. We we're going, wow, these cars are indestructible. You can have a massive crash and walk away from it. And and then we had the the horror weekend of ninety four, where we had two two fatalities in two days, including uh, Ayrton on the second day. And we're kind of getting to that point again now where we're saying, oh, it's amazing, these cars are so strong, no, nothing ever happens, and then mm. this happens. And, uh, you know, it's probably the best-case scenario that he walked away, but it made us all sort of scratch our heads and think, how can we make this sport even safer? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they are working on it for sure. But, uh, you know, just unbelievably grateful that, that Romain's happy and, and he's now back home. He flew straight back to uh, to, to, to France and he's now with his, uh, his wife and children for, for the Christmas break. I'm thanking his lucky stars, I'm sure. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, of course, uh, has been out due to COVID. He was back uh, yesterday after several negative tests and he's been reported as saying that the, the car is not how he left it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> he was <laughs> like... Someone sort of you know, stepped into his apartment while he was away. Yeah, um, they, they moved the yeah, seat I mean, back. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You know what it's like. The steering wheel's not yeah. where he left it. Uh, yeah, but they, they obviously had to modify the car a little bit for George Russell, who who stepped in for him while he was uh, he, he missed the race last weekend. George is significantly taller, and his feet are larger, so he had to wear one size smaller shoes. And I'm sure that I had to make some adjustments to the to the footwell in order to fit his feet in there, because yeah. the car's made around an individual, uh, Lewis, who's who's shorter. And um, and it was very last minute. In fact, it was only yesterday morning that we got confirmation that Lewis was test- had tested negative and cleared his quarantine. Mm-hmm. And so it was all set up for George to run again. And George even did the press conference in you know Lewis's team over, uh, team kit and uniform, thinking he's going to jump in. So it was a very very quick transition to put to put get it ready for Lewis. And unfortunately, yeah, there was still some issues. He had some brake issues in the session yesterday that I had to fix, and that left him out. And he didn't really get the proper run that he wanted to. So as a result, he was only fifth quickest in the first session mm-hmm. um, and he was second quickest in the second session yesterday. But I'm sure that the guys have been working on it flat out overnight for, for today and this afternoon. So maybe you can help me with this because, you know, I'm not an, F, an F1 expert by any means, but um, <laughs> I was interested to read that um, George Russell obviously subbed in for uh, for Hamilton. Uh, now, George Russell's with Williams and obviously Hamilton is with Mercedes. How does that work? Is that is that something that's always been allowed or is that quite extraordinary that that happened? Yeah, I mean, the teams have to have a reserve driver on standby for, mm. for, for such an eventuality. And in order to be a reserve driver, you have to be pretty good. Mm. So you, you, you're either a champion in the category below it, that's how it usually works, or you're a current F1 driver. And what they do is they basically... they So Williams got George as their driver because Williams use Mercedes engines. They, mm. they're, they're a customer of Mercedes. And part of the deal when they bought the engine, they said, we want to lease your driver because okay. George is actually paid by Mercedes. And he's subcontracted to to Williams to right. be their driver. So when this came up, they went, okay. So Williams themselves have a spare driver as well uh, in the in a lower category, and they went, right. Well, this other driver, a guy called Jack Aiken, you're in town because you just raced yesterday. So we're going to put you into George's car. We're going to lease George back to Mercedes. <laughs> and being being by the way, Formula One is, I'm sure money changed hands to to keep Williams yeah. happy. Yeah. And, and and then he very quickly had to get into that Mercedes. Now he's not completely uh, new to the car because he does, as part of his job, part of his Monday to Friday job when he's not racing, is that he works for for Mercedes in the simulator mm-hmm. to help set the car up for Valtteri and Lewis as well. And then on, on the weekends, he goes to Williams and races for them. So there is that, there is a very tight bond there. Yeah. And they, they, they lent him over. And to also, Ray, it's, it's a, pretty much it's a job interview for George as well because yeah. it's, it's more than likely that he'll probably get that drive when either Lewis or Valtteri uh, don't renew their contract, which may be as early as 2022. So yeah. he looked at the job interview for sure. And he impressed as well. Just just quickly, um, obviously we're running out of time, sadly, uh, but the, the the big race tomorrow, uh, end of season, um, what can we expect? Yeah, well, I think given the, the history of Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton, unfortunately with Lewis back, it, it, it's looking like a very dominant weekend for him again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's still so much to play for. There's still uh, the constructors' titles for, and drivers' championships further down below. You know, uh, Renault was chasing down McLaren, Ferrari looking at at, um, at at their worst constructors' title since 1981. So they, but they need to drive drive their socks off to, mm. to improve that this weekend um yeah so you know racing point uh renault uh, alfa tori ferrari they're mclaren they're all in the mix 
to move themselves up the championship order this weekend. So still a fierce battle going on behind the front row. Damien, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, have a great rest of your weekend and we'll catch up with you in a couple of weeks' time next time on Motor Mania. Fix it or flip it. And there's only really one man who can tell you. It's Matthew Davidson, head of motoring at Dubizzle. Matthew joins me now. Good morning. Morning, Ray. How are you? I'm all right. This segment just keeps getting longer and longer. Started out half an hour, went to 45 minutes. Now we're going to an hour because we get so many uh, calls. People just want to know what can they get for their car? Should they keep a hold of it or should they let it go? So what, what I'm going to do is just block out my Saturday mornings every fortnight now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Between 10 and 12, that's, it's basically going to be the Matthew Davidson show. <laughs> Fix it or flip it. That's what we'll rebrand the show as. Uh, but yeah, lots of people are messaging us already. 4001 is the number to get your message in on if you'd like to find out. Or give us a call. We'd love to talk to you in person because then that gives Matthew the chance to ask you all of those really detailed questions that you might need to ask to find out and give you you that uh, sort of um, specific number of what he thinks you can get zero four eight seven one double five double zero that is the number to call or four zero zero one if you don't want to talk to us uh, live in the studio um, already getting lots of messages uh, into the show uh, and also getting some uh, some calls as well let's um hear from ben uh, with this message i've got a mitsubishi pajero uh, it was built in 2017, but I bought it new from uh, Pajero in, uh, from Mitsubishi in uh, 2019. So it's first registered May 2019. It's got roughly 27,000 uh, on the clock at the moment. Bought it with the uh, it came with the five-year uh, standard warranty and bought a five-year service package uh, with it. So we're uh, one year into that, I had no problems with it, and it's all uh, been serviced by, uh, by Haptol Motors, so uh, it's still under full warranty. It's the 3.6-litre uh, four-wheel drive version, uh, the top spec, so uh, I would hope uh, I'd get a decent price for it. Uh, it cost me, I think, about 110 uh, to begin with. Um, considering uh, flipping it, getting rid of it, and uh, getting something else, uh, had a Jeep Grand Cherokee before, thinking about going back to that. OK, thinking about going back to the Cherokees. Got a Pajero 2017. Lots of detail there from Ben, which is what we like. Matthew, what do you think? Fix or flip? Well, Ben is, is shopping around the two best-selling cars, um, the Pajero and the Jeep Grand Cherokee. Mm. So he seems to, uh, to know his cars and the ones that hold the, the best value. That Pajero... With that warranty, because the warranty normally comes with a, it comes with a three-year warranty that you can extend to five. So that's the maximum warranty, and he's purchased a five-year service contract, which is just money in the bank for anybody that buys that car. So that that's a home run in terms of, of a car that a buyer would 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 love to take. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that car would be knocking on the door of eighty thousand, simply because of everything it's got going for it. The fact that it was bought. Uh, pre-owned from Mitsubishi last year. It's got the five-year warranty, five-year service contract, and still low kilometres at 27,000. Okay, 80K, that's what you could get, Ben. Uh, be like Ben, give us a call, 04871 or text 4001. Francis has texted in, Matthew. Um, she says, my beloved Z3, 1998... 
How much would it be worth now? Not a lot of other information, no mileage. We do need that normally. Uh, but what could you tell Francis? Z3, 1998. Well, at the time, that was a very cool car. I remember uh, when the Z3 came out, it was uh, it really, really made a splash. But, mm. I mean, this now, a convertible car in the UAE, more than 20 years old, uh, it's it's really really going to have, have, have devalued a lot. I mean, we don't know anything about uh, kilometers. We don't know anything about the uh, condition of the car. Mm. But I'm guessing that it's it's uh, it could be pretty rough. Uh, but my guess would be around fifteen thousand. Could could be even less if the mileage is uh, higher. But around 15k for that said free you, you sort of paid particular attention to the fact that it was convertible there why do convertibles suffer more due to age well it's the fact that the that's a fabric roof mm-hmm. for example and, and that that uh, will take a real beating being out in the sun here particularly the humidity um, you'll get uh, that that at that age I believe it was a manual roof which means it's you just basically undo the clips and, and pull the roof back. So you're not going to suffer a mechanical failure, but just that will deteriorate really badly. And then the sun's getting inside the car as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the hardtop convertibles, it's, it's not as much of a problem. But the, the fabric convertibles here, they take a beating through sort of that June to September period. Amina messaged in on 4001. She says, just curious, I'm renewing my motor insurance and they said my car was valued at 85,000 dirhams. It's a 2018 pilot brought brand new for 137,000. No scratches, no claims. I was hoping to sell it for a higher price. Is 85 accurate? Well, it's a great question and a big misconception here insurance prices are no way a barometer of the market price. Mm -hmm. So, for example, on some cars, you can have an insurance price that's way higher than the market value because the insurance databases are just not updated. They're they're particularly affected when new models come out and it hits the residual value of the pre-owned ones in the market. And also, you have to remember what the insurance company quote you is what they're prepared to pay if that car is a total loss yeah so that's just that's just them saying look if this pilot is is completely written off we'll give you 85k the actual market price of that car is more likely to be 95 to 100 but the insurance is just simply what they will pay out in the event of an accident Alistair has messaged in, says, I'm interested in the Mercedes S-Class. I want a second-hand one, no more than three years old. Is there a big difference between the 500 and the newer 560? That's a little bit off the general topic uh, of fix it or flip it. But, Matthew, are you able to help? Yeah, I mean, it's um, you've got to be very cautious if you're going to drop, which will still be a lot of money on an S-Class because the new model has just been launched. And what typically happens, the the kind of people that can afford the S-Class to start with, they want to be seen in the latest models. Mm. So you're going to see possibly a sharp drop. Now, that also can be to your advantage. My my advice is that the delta between the two prices isn't huge, um, between the 500 and, and the 560. But what you've got to remember is that a lot of 560s come in as an import as well. So always be careful of imports. Make sure you get a, an inspection on that car. Um, but I would say, look, 
wait six months if that's even possible, mm-hmm. because the, the new model will start to filter onto the out, out into the the market here, and you'll see that the previous model will drop, and you'll get a far better bang for buck. But in, in answer to the original question, there's not there's not a huge delta between the 500 and the 560, mm-hmm. maybe 25, 30,000, but um, in terms of those cars, there's not that many GCC 560s around, so be careful. Fix it or flip it. Taking your calls on 04871 or text 4001. And Matthew Andy has given us a call, left this message. Uh, hi, boys. Uh, I'd like your um, opinion on my car. It's a Hyundai Azera 2013. Um, it's quite high-end, got all the options, uh, but it's got 224,820 kilometres on it. So it's done a shift. Uh, the bodywork's looking a bit shabby, and there's a few things wrong with it. Like the passenger door doesn't open, and uh, I don't know, just there's bits wrong with it. Um, I don't know whether to keep driving until it dies, or whether I should flip it. Give me your opinion, please. I like Andy. I like Andy a lot. Matthew, it's a Hyundai Azera 2013, 225,000, shabby with a dodgy door. Fix or flip? Andy's made my day. I know, right? (laughs) Brutally honest. That's how you should advertise cars on the Bizzle. Brutally honest. (laughs) Um, Well, look, we don't know if it's got any major mechanical or electrical problems, but let's just presume that it is running. It's just a bit shabby. Yeah. You, you know, you, you're going to get, I would imagine, um, around 20K for that car mm-hmm. um, because they, they are relatively reliable. The cars coming out of South Korea, the Kia, the Hyundai now. Um, so this Hyundai, yeah, I would I would probably say unless you need to, to sell it, I'd just keep driving it because even if you put another 100K on that car, as long as it's as long as it's driving OK, you know, it'll still be worth. 10, 12. So, mm. you know, the cost to change is actually not that much um, when when you're on a higher value car. But on 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 this, it's you know, I would I would keep it. I would honestly keep uh, driving it. And if Andy did the work and got the got the dodgy door fixed and you know made it look a bit less shabby, do you think he'd see that when he sold it? He'd get that back in 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 the sale price. Not not overly at that price point. Mm. What people are probably more interested in is the car is running well rather than the cosmetics. Cosmetic spending is always better on a high-value car because people people are really putting a lot of hard-earned cash into, you know, a 100K, 150K car, and they expect it to be perfect. But, you know, you, you talked about this on the last show, of course, about the importance of, of, of spending uh, money and fixing cars up. But yeah. for me at this price point, if you did sell it, um, just just emphasize the fact that it that it runs well rather than the cosmetics. Uh, somebody out there will probably use that as a workhorse back and forth between mm. Emirates, etc. Well, yeah, well, this segment's called Fix It or Flip It. In, in this case, you're saying don't flip it and, and don't even bother fixing it. Just just keep it and <laughs> sort of drive it. Yeah, we should, we should add a, an additional <laughs> one in, which is just keep it. Fix it, flip it, keep it. Keep it. Or something else with an F for the alliteration. Uh, Paul Taylor has uh, called up and left this message for you, Matthew. Hi, I have a Citroen AX Jazz. It was built in 1978. Um, I paid £300 for it. I was looking to sell it, but I'm not sure because I've done a lot of work on it. Um, So it's got a new exhaust pipe. It's just that the tappet clearance is done. Um, It's got aftermarket wheel trims the plastic wheel trims all the way around um 
I'm looking at getting a Nissan Micra instead, but I'm not sure whether to fix it or flip it. Okay, Citroen AX Jazz uh, bought it for 300 quid. I missed the year. I don't know if you caught that, uh, Matthew. Um, new exhaust wants to know if you should fix or flip. Yeah, I mean, uh, he's talking in British pounds. So yeah. That's where he's calling from. Um, yeah, <laughs> this show think, goes uh, everywhere. Yeah, this is, it, we've gone international already. Yeah. And what can I say? <laughs> it was bound to happen. Um, yeah, look, th- these are entry-level cars. So, I mean, it's um, everyone has to start somewhere. It's like property. or You know, you, you start by sharing and then you move to a studio. And then one day you'll upgrade to a one-bedroom apartment. It's the same with kind of cars. You have to mm. get something that just gets you in. And moves you from A to B. So, you know, moving up to a Micra, that means that someone else is going to want that Citroen. So, um, yeah, if you want to move up, sell it. I mean, in terms of value, I mean, we're, I don't even know if this car is in the UK or wherever, but um, if, it's, if it's UK based, 250, 300 is kind of the, the bottom for what cars trade for because any car with an MOT, which is the equivalent of the RTA, uh, testing certificate here, the Ministry of Transport um, MOT in the UK. That's pretty much the bottom. People will give you two fifty, three hundred car, uh, yeah. three hundred pounds for a car that's running. So yeah, sell it, move on. I bought a Capri uh, about fifteen years ago for a hundred quid, um, and <laughs> I, when, when the battery died, I, I didn't even bother to have it repaired. Actually, I just had it taken away because <laughs> it was so rubbish. But yes, you can buy a car for for very little money uh, in the UK as long as you don't expect it to drive it for very long. Uh, Graham joins us on the line. Uh, good morning, Graham. Good morning. How are you? Yeah, we're very well. Thanks for calling us on Motormania. What would you like to ask, Matthew? Right, Matthew, I'm just getting out of my... I've got a Ford Expedition 2013. Um, it's got just shy of 225k on the clock. Uh, it's, yeah, it's in, I spoke to your, listened to your other guy. It's, it's uh, appropriately uh, worn and torn as far as uh, the, the use is concerned. Uh, but no, it's still looking in good shape. And uh, the, the question I have is, similar to the other guy, do I... I'm, I'm looking at either trading in or selling to try and get a deposit for another car mm. or do I just drive it through to how much more would I expect to get out of the car? It's been fully agency maintained. Um, yeah, it's a lovely, it's a, it's a good runner. What do you think, Matthew? Ford Expedition 2013, 225k on the clock. You know, this is a big SUV. It's, it's one that uh, people with large families love because they can, they can move everybody around. Um, big engine as well in that car, 5.4 V8, um, which means fuel fuel has got to be something that needs to be considered as we move into more uh, efficient engines like the EcoBoost that Ford do. Um, so that's a consideration. If you're doing lots of kilometers, that's going to actually hurt you in the pocket with that engine size. The car's value, I imagine, is late 20s, something like 27, 28,000. Um, and again, it's going to be the same answer. If you don't need to sell and it's running okay, I'd probably keep it because there's not a lot you're going to be able to get similar for the same money you sell it for. If you're looking to add more more money, so take your 28, add another, say, 25, 30K to jump up into something, that's fine. But if you sell it, then you'll be scratching your head thinking, well, what can I buy that's going to carry all these people and stuff around um, that's running well? So uh, hope that answers the question. Does that help, Graham? Yeah, cool. Thanks so much. Appreciate that. Fix it or flip it. Matthew Davidson from Dubizzle is here. You're right there, Matt. 
Yeah, everything is good. Excellent. Uh, Amy joins us on the line now. Good morning, Amy. Hi. How are you doing? Good, thank you. What would you like to ask our expert, Matthew Davidson? So we've got a 2014 Pathfinder that has basically been ferrying three children <laughs> and their food around. Dubai I can picture it, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then my husband uh, drove it into a pillar, so it's got a big scratch down the side, and it's got 120 kilometers on the clock. And the question is whether to fix the scratch yeah. before selling, um, you know, basically fix it or flip it. Fix it or flip it. Uh, 2014 Pathfinder, 120k on the clock, big old scratch because of, of the hubby, Matthew. <laughs> Yeah, always, always the husband. Yeah, uh, typically. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think. Look, it, I can't see the scratch, but I mean, it, it depends how many panels it's across. Because the more panels, the more painting. I mean, a general rule of thumb: as long as you're get you're getting treated fairly in terms of wherever you get it fixed, you should be looking around six hundred to paint a panel. Mm. So, if it's across two panels, two doors, you're looking at around twelve hundred to repaint it. Now, you know. I think it's kind of a bit dented as well. Yeah, um, Amy, I did exactly the same thing. Sorry, Matthew, just to cut in, but this this is identical to something I did. I uh, I drove um, my car into into a pillar as well, and it went across two panels. And it was it was only about I was, I was surprised how cheap it was. It was about one thousand one hundred, one thousand two hundred dirhams. Okay. It wasn't too bad. Yeah, that's what you're looking at six hundred a panel, but mm. it's irrelevant. Dent scratches, you know you, you, the it's going to be the same price because they're, they're, they're repainting the whole panel. Mm. So on, on, that, on that car, I would, um, if you are going to sell it, it's going to make a difference if it's across a couple of panels. So, and that car is still, I, mean, I'm, I don't know if it's the SV, the 3.5 liter SV, but those cars, if it is the SV, they sell for around 40, 45. Um, if it's the, uh, the EX, then you're looking a little bit less, probably around... 35 um but yeah look find somebody that um can fix those scratches uh invest the money in uh, and that will definitely uh help to move that car quite quickly because the pathfinder is incredibly desirable here mm. does that Number help Amy? yeah awesome okay so we're gonna get it fixed i'm gonna get it fixed yeah. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Thank you. Be like Amy. Give us a call zero four eight seven one double five double zero or text in like Mohammed did uh, on four zero zero one. He says he's got a Nissan Armada. It's a twenty thirteen Matthew. It's got eighty four thousand kilometers on the clock uh, and a full service history. Fix it or flip it. Well, the Armada is another big, big car similar to the Expedition. You know, you could easily put eight people in. Um, it's actually Nissan's uh, equivalent car. Um, kilometers seem really low for uh, mm. a 2013, which is going to help. If it's the LE... Um, it is a, the LE, yes. Yeah, yeah 5.6 litre V8, the LE. Mm. You're looking probably around um, 45 to 50K. I'd put that on the Bizzle at 49,000 and see how the market reacts. Okay, so uh, so yeah, you're gonna get you're gonna maximise the the income there because of the low mileage. Uh, we've got another call uh, message here. No name on this one. Please do remember to give us your name when you message in on four zero zero one. Says morning. I've got a two thousand and nine Kia Sportage, one hundred forty thousand kilometres. 
few bumps and scratches, uh, buying something new, but just wondering whether to try to sell or keep it as a runaround. It's been a super reliable car. And thanks you in advice for your expert advice, Matthew. Yeah, we talked about Kia and Hyundai earlier about the how, how they're very reliable. I mean, that car's probably worth, I don't know, twelve, thirteen thousand in the market right now. Even if it, um, even a 2009? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because th- th- that, is, that is the quintessential word, runaround. I mean, yeah. somebody will buy that and they'll run around in it. Um, <laughs> and, you, you know, your um, worst case scenario, you get 10 for it. Absolutely worst case scenario. But then you've got to say to yourself, well, you know, if, if I need something to run around in, what can I get that I know and I trust for 10K? Nothing. I mean, um, mm. so if you're, if you're selling it again to, to, to move forward and get another car, yeah, you'll get that much money for it. And I think it will sell relatively quickly. I doubt there's many more than probably 10 um, 2009 for sale in the UAE right now. Um, someone's probably going to go and check that and, and fact check me, but I, I bet there's not many more than that. So you'll sell it pretty quick. Yeah, and that's interesting, the point you make. You know, if, if literally if you're not looking to add anything extra onto the money that you get from the car, what else are you going to get that's as, as reliable as, as something you already know and understand and own with, with kind of no weird surprises? Uh, okay, so and, the, and remember the remember the cost to change. I mean, it costs yes. you doesn't matter what, how much the car value is, it costs you 1,000 dirhams to register a car at the RTA traffic department. That's 830 for registration and 170 for the passing test. Mm-hmm. So before insurance and everything else, your cost to change is, an, is, is 1,000 on top. So remember that. Fahad uh, has messaged in and he's being a bit cheeky, but we'll allow it, Fahad. He says, any chance I can get two quotes? I've got an 07 Toyota Cruiser GXR, well-maintained with a whopping, and it is whopping, 500,000 kilometres on the clock. Not planning to sell it, but he just wants to know what you think its value would be. He says the other car is a 2016 Kia Sorento, 130K, uh, service centre maintained and spotless, uh, which he is also thinking of selling. So first up, the 07 Toyota Cruiser with 500K. What do you think, Matthew, value of that? So he must be talking about the FJ Cruiser. Um, and you're looking, uh, I know this is it's crazy, crazy kilometres on that car. Um, but they, they're just sought after. Mm. They really are sought after. I, I've seen, um, because it's unusual mileage, and, and there isn't a lot of uh, stuff to measure it against. I, I remember uh, a couple of years ago, I saw a 2007 or a 2008 with 400,000, and it changed hands for 25K. Wow. I, I, think, I think this car's 20K. That's what I think. If you put this online, somebody will still come along and buy that car. 20k good news for fahad there i hope that helps uh, did you and say the, it's a kia sorento what was it a 13 did you say uh the kia sorento is a 2016 130k service center maintained yeah, I mean, that that kilometers is getting up there for mm. a 2016 i mean normally you'd expect to see uh, under 100k for it for a 2016 um if it's the full option car um even with those kilometers should be around 45k um yeah, I would put it on the bit off around 45,000. Okay. Uh, Ruth has messaged in on 4001. She says, I'd like to know the resale value of my Range Rover V8 Supercharge 2013. Uh, it's got 39,000 kilometers. Excellent condition. Uh, serviced uh, by Altaya every year. And it is black. Fix or flip? 
Sorry, Ray, what was the kilometres? It's uh, 39k. For a 2013? Yeah, amazing, right? <laughs> can I buy it, please? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go, Ruth. <laughs> yeah, we, we already, we can just move on, you know, let's talk, talk off there. Um, yeah, I mean, if it's, uh, it, you, it's a difficult one, actually, because that was the year the shape changed. Mm-hmm. So um, if, it, if, it's the, if it's the newer shape, then you're probably looking, if it's really got those low kilometers, that's going to be, I would imagine, about 155, 160 mm-hmm. at least, maybe even more. I mean, it's, there just won't be anything on the market with anything like that kilometers. If it's the older shape, then literally everything changes. I mean, it's half that at least, maybe uh, 75, 80K, mm. even with those low kilometers. But if it has got those low kilometers, um, then yeah, I mean, I'd even probably start putting that car on at maybe just under 170, like 169, and then just seeing how people react. But lots of people will question you. First thing they'll say is prove it. Show me the, show me those service history and everything yeah. that shows that car's got that low kilometers because that's amazing. Yeah. Well, Ruth, possibly you might have the car of the day. Fix it or flip it. Matthew, the lines have just lit up uh, and we have got a lot of callers waiting to get your expert advice for Fix It or Flip It. Let's start with uh, Farah. Good morning, Farah. Good morning. How are you doing? You well? Doing very well, thank you. Excellent. What would you like to ask Matthew? Uh, okay, so uh, I feel very lucky to actually be listening to, uh, to the show right now because I have a uh, a big question regarding my car. It's a 2009 uh, Lexus RX 350. Mm-hmm. Um, female driven, has been in very good condition and taken care of with, you know, the servicing and so on. Uh, it just so happens that it hasn't been much of use over the past four years because, I, I mean, I didn't spend, spend that much time in Dubai. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, there was some oil uh, clogged and there was an oil sludge on top of the uh, of the engine engine mm-hmm. so now the garage is saying that they have to remove uh, the engine and look what's inside and so on they cannot give a proper estimation of the work and i'm just wondering if it is worth um doing the repair keeping the car or or else matthew what would you say Oh, well, I've got lots of questions. I mean, the oil on the top of the engine, is, is it is it clearly oil color or has it got any, does it look white or creamy? No, it was not white or creamy because I've seen it. It was oil color, a little bit darker. Okay, so there's no water in the engine. That's good. So what I would say is you could have sweating from the head gasket, the top of the, the engine, um, which means you just need a new head gasket, Um and that that isn't an engine out on a Lexus. It shouldn't be an engine out on a Lexus. I, I personally feel you need a second opinion. Mm. I always advise people. I know it's sometimes a hassle, especially if the car's not running. But you can get a recovery truck for 75, 100 dirhams to move a car around for you if that's going to save you a considerable amount of money. But at least get a second opinion before you decide to get out of that car. Yeah, if it's something more, more sinister, you, you, you might be better off literally just scrapping that car. Yeah. I mean, in terms of value, if it was fixed and running okay, I'd say between 26, 28,000 dirhams that car should sell for. Um, but, yeah, you need a second opinion. I, I, it sounds to me like it's the head gasket. 
Farah. I hope that helps. Uh, I'm now going to try and put Scott uh, onto uh, Farah's line because I dropped him onto the wrong one. So I'm saying goodbye to Farah. I'm going to drop Scott down onto line two and I'm going to say good morning, Scott. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? That worked. Wow, technology is working today. Uh, Scott, (laughs) what would you like to ask Matthew? Right, so I've got a BMW uh, 430i. I think mm-hmm. 2017, might be 18. Um, and it's immaculate, uh, 45K on the clock. But um, in the first week, some, I was in more of the Emirates car park where they've got two small bays for each car. And someone's opened their door into my passenger side door. Yep. And there's a little crease on it, like a line crease. There's now two right, almost right next door to each other. Spoke to the dent masters. They said they can't get it out. Is it? I'm thinking about moving on, selling it. Shall I get those two little line dents removed? Otherwise, it's immaculate, or is it just not worth it? What would you say, Matt? And what do you think it'd be worth? Yeah, I mean, it's M Is it the is it the, the M Sport Grand Coupe? It's the converter 430i M Sport convertible. Okay, that's beautiful, beautiful car. Um, look, in, in terms of if it's a 17, um, you'd probably be 90s, like uh, maybe 90, 92. Um, in terms of the lines, it's it's a difficult one because if they're on the creases, yeah, that's why Dentmaster or anybody looking to do a smart repair, they probably won't be able to get those um Mm. out without without repainting it ask yourself the question if you were going to view the car as a buyer would that put you off significantly and if the answer is yes then you need to look at it if it's like well it wouldn't put me off buying but i'd certainly uh you know have to haggle a little bit with the price that may be a better play um versus Mm. actually repainting the the panels which it looks like you're going to have to do if you can't do a smart repair what do you think scott yeah, that sounds good. I mean, the two creases, tiny little creases, but they do are quite next to each other on one, you know, the passenger side door, and the rest of the car is immaculate, so it is annoying. But I think, yeah, I think I just, from what I've heard about getting it fixed and stuff, they're difficult to remove. So mm. without sort of replacing the panel, I think I think I just haggle a bit when I sell it and see if I can get a good price for it. Yeah, I can tell um, it, it clearly yeah. bugs you, though. And it's, it's one of those things, unfortunately, it's a, a bit of an occupational uh, hazard. Uh, even though the parking spaces are really uh, quite wide here in the UAE, certainly a lot wider than they are um, most parking spaces in the UK, you do tend to get quite a lot of dings. Uh, Nishin joins us on the line. Nishant, good morning. Hi, good morning. Good to have you with us. What would you like to ask Matthew? Hey, Matthew. My question with regards to my Audi A4. It's a 2011 2.0, uh, run about 200k kilometers. I'm looking at getting a new car uh, and would, would love to hear your thoughts in terms of is it worth getting a Model X or a uh, alternative option, but the question was more about the Audi. Should I keep it or should I flip it? Audi A4 2011 uh, 250 uh, and 200k on the clock, Matthew. Yeah, hi Nishant. Um, look, for, for me, those cars really start getting expensive uh, around this age and that kilometers. I mean, in, in terms of value, I doubt very much you'd get more than around 15, 16,000 for the car. Um, it's one of those cars that, that will start becoming more expensive than it's worth to keep. I mean, you could easily have quite a few failures over the next 12 months that could run into five, six, seven thousand dirhams 
for a car that's not even worth three times that. So, yeah, I think this is one that you need to look at if it's running okay, getting out of now. Uh, but expectation in price shouldn't be much more than about fifteen, sixteen thousand. How does that sound in terms of value? Is that what you were expecting? Oh yeah, pretty much around that uh, range. I was thinking about twenty, but yeah, fifteen, sixteen. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, well, I hope that helps. Uh, We have got probably just about time for one more call, if we are very quick. And that lucky caller is Mark. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Uh, No, I'm Ray. You're Mark. (laughs) How are you doing? You all right? Have you had your coffee? Yes, I did. (laughs) What would you like to ask Matthew? Um... Um, Matthew, please. I have a X5 uh, 35i drive I. Uh, how much should I advertise? 178,000 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And um, well maintained. There's no problem, anything. There was minor scratches, which I got it uh, cleaned up. Mm-hmm. How and much you, do I advertise it? You've pretty much you've decided to let it go. You're going to put it on yeah. the, online. Uh, Matthew, it's X5 35i 178k. Well, a double espresso for Mark, first of all. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> uh, I, need, I need to know the year, Mark. What year is your car? Uh, 2013, sorry. I, I 2013. I yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, the, the kilometers actually uh, are just a touch high, but it still is a seven-year-old Correct. car, so that's not, that's not too bad. Um, yeah. Again, one of those cars that will now be out of warranty, and you really can, you should be considering getting out of that car. Price? 65k is what I'd put it online for, and see how the market reacts. With a view that you, you, you could drop it down. Um, Funny you should say that because I advertise for 44, and not one call from Dubizel for nearly now three weeks. Oh, so you put it yeah, on at so, 44. What are you saying, Matthew? Yeah. So some, sometimes what you need to do with these cars is advertise a little bit higher. Um, I mean, I I I, I can't obviously visualize how you've done the, the <laughs> advert, et cetera. But, you know, the, the pictures are critical as well. You need to have um, pictures from all angles, inside and outside, to show how well you've looked after it. Mm. Um, but, you know, you, if you've got um, – sometimes you can be too far away on the price. Um, you know, I would, I would at least put that on for to start with at 59 and then see how, how people react to it. You'd be surprised. I've had people say um, they've increased the price by five, ten thousand, and actually sold it because they didn't get the price right for the, to start with. Really? You know? <laughs> well, Mark, <laughs> I might try that again. This, yeah. uh, you're very much up there with uh, one of my favourite callers of the day, Mark. Thank you so much for calling in. Andy as well, uh, we like that. And everybody who calls the show, we really appreciate it. Uh, Matthew, uh, tons of calls once again. you ready to do it all again in a couple of weeks' time? Yeah, I look forward to it, Ray. It's fun as always. Uh, and I, th- I think we could probably just build the whole show around you. Why not? Let's think about it. You're back with Ray Addison on Motormania. Only on Dubai Eye 103.8. One of those days just dropped my glasses on the floor. Got to pick those up, otherwise I can't read anything because uh, I'm quite, quite uh, blind as a bat now. And this is Motormania. I'm Ray Addison. Uh, and we've had some uh, amazing contributions from you guys. So as always, we thank you for that. Uh, now, we talk about cars on this show. So why am I talking about John Cleese? 
He is, of course, the legendary comedic actor who first made his mark as a member of the Monty Python troupe way back in the 1960s. He's gone on to write, produce, direct and star in some of the greatest comedic hits of the last 40 years, including 40 Towers and A Fish Called Wanda. One of his most beloved comedy characters, Basil Fawlty, once famously attacked his Austin with a tree branch after the car repeatedly refused to start. Let's remind us of that scene. And then he goes on to give him a thrashing. He is currently spending an extended period of time in Dubai doing a number of shows, um, including two at Dubai Opera. They take place on the 15th and the 16th uh, of this month, just a few days' time. And he's also been down at Jitex, where our very own Nonny caught up with him to ask about his relationship with cars. Um, and she started by asking if the car thrashing scene was as fun to perform as it was for all of us to watch. Well, the interesting thing about that, which tells you a lot about comedy, was that when we were rehearsing it, I went off to get a branch, and I came back with a branch, and I started practicing hitting the car. It wasn't funny, so we were all a bit puzzled, so I went off, I got another branch, and I came back with a much floppier one, and I started hitting the car with that, and it wasn't funny. And I went and got a third one, which was sort of not too rigid and not too floppy, and started hitting the car with that, and it suddenly became absolutely hilarious. Now, who would have guessed that the sort of quality of the branch was going to determine whether it was funny or not? That's what you find about comedy. It's much subtler and more difficult than drama, and everybody seems to think that it's drama's poor relation. It's the other way around. If you were filming that scene today, what car would Basil Fawlty be driving and thrashing now? I have no idea. I should explain that I have no interest in cars whatsoever. I was enormously interested in cars till I was nine. And when my parents were driving along, I would sit in the back of the car telling them what every car on the road was, what make it was. And then at nine, I thought, this is boring. And I've never been interested in cars. I can recognise... A Volkswagen Beetle, I can recognise a Rolls, and I think there's one other that I can recognise, but otherwise I don't like modern cars. I think the old classic ones uh, are awful now. They look as though they've been built to ram things, and I think it's because the people uh, rich enough to buy them do want to ram things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, in that famous scene and in movies like Clockwise... You found humour out of the frustration of commuting. Is that something you've always felt yourself? Do you have a love-hate relationship with travelling? I don't like travelling much. Um, it used to be more, much more fun. I used to be able to go to London Airport and all I needed was my ticket and some money and uh, my passport. Uh, there were no, no security. I can remember that. You just walked on the plane and it was a very pleasant, low-key experience. And then the terrorists started and ever since then it's been a bit of a nightmare, really. It's just a question of dragging yourself through the process, but I think there's very little enjoyment in it. 
what was your experience like this time with the pandemic precautions? My experience on airplanes most of the time is is that I'm not comfortable enough because I'm six foot four inches tall. And even if I travel, for example, sometimes people pay for me to travel British Airways first class, and I'm not comfortable. It seems to be extraordinary to have someone paying all that money and you can't get comfortable. But one of my uh, beefs about designers is that they are designing for other designers. They're not really designing for the people who are using their designs. You've lived in the UK and the USA. Do you have a favourite driving spot, the non-driver that you are, or the non-passionate driver that you are? I mean, the place that I like to sit in the car or that I like the car to be. Um, Well, if I have to be in a car, I would rather be going up and down Highway 1 than anything else. Uh, That coast road in California is the most beautiful drive I've ever come across. And of course, it's quite windy and the Americans think it's difficult. (laughs) The English don't. Even for a non-passionate driver like yourself? Oh, no, no, I don't mind driving a car. I'm just not interested in anything about the car. What do you think of driving in the UAE? Have you done it? No, I haven't. And I think I'd be a bit scared Not by the driving, which is very polite and lawful, but by the difficulty of figuring out the one-way systems, because you have to go an awfully long distance in one way, and then you've got one chance to do a U-turn legally, and then if you don't take that one, (laughs) you're at the outskirts before you can turn again. So, I mean, it's a very complicated thing to drive in the the Emirates, and uh, I wouldn't want to try You put your 1987 Bentley 8 up for auction in 2012. Was it hard to let go of, and how many famous passengers had ridden in it? Well, it it was hard to let go of. I'd had it for a very long time, uh, but not long enough for it to be vintage, so it wasn't worth very much. But I was very, very fond of the car, but I wasn't really driving in England because there's no point in having a car if you're in London. I just get black cabs everywhere. I like black cabs. I like black cab drivers. Um, And I love just sitting in the back making phone calls. I'd much rather do that than drive. And the number of times I drove in the countryside was very, very few. So I eventually just thought I'd have to get rid of it. And to my surprise, I sold it to an Australian who... Um, exported it to Australia. So it's now driving around in Melbourne. Very interesting. You played the role of Bulldog, a de Havilland DH-88 Comet, a British racing plane, in Disney's planes. If the producers of Cars called you up, what type of car would you like to play and what would you call yourself? I would like to have a car with a steering wheel and four wheels and I would like to be uh, called um, Cletus Car. Okay, that was a fantastic question from Ray Addison there for Motomania. Thank you very much for joining us on Motomania. I'm very glad that that they found Addison because there's so few people who have any taste or intelligence who are interested in cars. It's really great they found one of the few.
Amazing. There you go. Back to you in the studio, Ray. You have a number one fan here on Motormania. I'm not sure that's what he was saying, actually, Nonny. I think he was actually insulting me, which I find refreshing and very wise as well. It shows what a wise uh, man he is. He didn't answer the question that Nonny asked about the famous passengers in his Bentley. Uh, He obviously sold his Bentley uh, back in 2012. And he actually did a handwritten note about all of the famous passengers that he'd had in it. And they included Jamie Lee Curtis um, and Kevin Kline, who were obviously his co-stars from the movie A Fish Called Wonder. And if you're sort of, I mean, I'm the wrong side of 40. If you're the right side of 40 um, and you're not a particularly uh, up to date with John Cleese's career, check it out. Honestly, he has been in some amazing films, some amazing movies and um, is is much beloved. Uh, I'm thinking of Clockwise, uh, obviously The Fish Called Wonder and his TV shows. And they've tried to remake um, Faulty Towers so many different times, tried to remake it in the States. They always change something and they get it wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, it's definitely worth checking out.